The boils actually come from the ashes of the furnaces that they had to bake the bricks from. So this is like poetic justice. As they're enslaving out in the furnaces making bricks, now that ash explodes out and hits them. Now boils are with, now I'm not a doctor on this one, so I'm probably going to err a little bit. From what I understand, basically boils, we know what that is. There's an infection underneath the skin where the skin and the flesh begins to actually die. And then, of course, it pusses into a pus. And because it's under the skin, then it begins to, like, inflate. And you have these nice little, like, water beds of pain on your skin. It's very painful. And from what I've heard is when they burst, then the pus goes everywhere, which can be in a day and age without having lots of soap and lots of bathing on a regular basis can cause other infections. And not only that, because your skin is becoming raw, your nerve endings are kind of a little bit more exposed. So even when air and wind like touches it, it's like really in pain. Like if you've ever blown on a cut or a bruise and it, like hurts, like imagine all over your bed or body. So like if you're trying to sit down, lie down, no matter what you do, it's incredibly painful. And one of the things that people in the ancient world would do is they would actually get like rocks, flint stones, and they actually like try to scrape all this dead infected flesh off their bodies. This is what Job is doing in the book of Job. He's like, as he's complaining to God, he's like scraping all the dead flesh off of his body. So we're talking about serious pain. This can lead to death. Now, I don't know if people today in the modern world, if they got these things, would die. Because I think now, we, if you get like a couple, we can, from what I understand, we can cure them pretty quickly. And we've got so many ways to stay clean and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know how it works today. But in the ancient world, when you're living in a desert culture, and everything's dying around you, and you don't have this concept of bacteria and cleansing and all that kind of stuff, infection's got to run high, which is probably going to lead to a lot of deaths. And so the boils are attacking them. This doesn't seem to be a direct attack against a specific God, but it is a poetic justice to the furnace lashing back out on them. But this would be an attack against Sekhmet. Okay, Sekhmet, S-E-K-M-E-T, S-E-K-M-E-T. Sekhmet was a female body with the head of a lion. She was the goddess of plagues and epidemics and sickness. She was kind of a vengeful, unstable woman, female goddess. She was known to just release plagues upon you, but she was also the one that cured you of plagues and sickness. So you would go to her on one level and pray that she would unleash a plague against your neighbor for doing something to you, at the same time that you're praying for her to heal your sick kid of another plague. And so she was used in a dual sense. And so the fact that this plague is coming on everybody, but yet everybody's praying to her and she's not stopping it, would show her an inability to actually provide this kind of a healing. So, and this also could be an attack against Kunum. All these attacks could be an attack against Kunum. Kunum was K-N-U-M. And Kunum was a ram-headed god that actually created humans, like on a potter wheel. He actually like, formed them little clay dolls of humans and then life was given to them by Shu, who was the son of, or the daughter of Ray, and brought life. And so the fact that he's not being able to protect all these humans from all these things would show that his inability to protect them as the creator gods of humans. The gods are just failing. The seventh plague is hail. So verse 13, it says, Yahweh said to Moses, get up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and tell them, thus says Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, release my people so they may serve me. 
For this time I will send all my plagues on your very self and on your servants and your people so you may know that this is the one, there is no one like me on earth. And that's important. Remember over and over, there is no one like me. That's the whole point of these plagues. There's no one like me. Then he says, notice he acknowledges that hail has come. Verse 18, I am going to cause very severe hail to rain down upon this time tomorrow. Such hail has never occurred. He doesn't deny that hail has ever come before, but not to the extent that it's going to come now. So now send instructions to your livestock and all your possessions in the fields to a safe place. Every person or animal caught in the field and not brought into the house, the hail will come down on them and they will die. This is one of the most specific and blatant places where God gives a warning to people. This is what's going to happen. Protect your animals. It is interesting that this is also one of the very places where it specifically says that the servants of Pharaoh feared the word of Yahweh, verse 20, and hurried to bring their servants and livestock in the houses. So this is also one of the very, very specific places that says that the Egyptians responded to this warning unlike Pharaoh, and they obeyed and they brought their animals in. And so they're experiencing life if they obey. And this is so important. God's not playing favorites. He's not just specifically attacking Egypt and saving Israel. He's specifically trying to give them all a chance and allowing them for this opportunity. Verse 23, when Moses extended staff towards the sky, Yahweh sent thunder and hail and fire fell to the earth. So Yahweh caused the hail to rain down on the land of Egypt. Hail and fire mingled together came down. Now, that's important. This is fire and ice. Okay, these are giant chunks of ice that are on fire. That we well, don't think we've ever seen that before. It's like freezing gasoline and lighting it up and throwing it on people. This is coming down. This would have been an attack against Newt. Newt was that goddess, N-U-T, that goddess that was arched over Geb, and she was the sky goddess. And they believed that when you looked up in the sky, you saw the body of Newt. She was not only where all the stars and the sun were housed, but she was seen as your shield against the, the universe, all those dark things that are out there and the cosmos. And so she became a shield. And now her body is bursting into flames and raining down hail on you. That would be scary to see your goddess, your protector, your shield bursting into flames and raining down on you. Now, this would not just be an attack against her. This is going to come down with such a devastation that it attacks the crops. And we're specifically told the wheat. And the wheat is going to die. And that's an attack against Set. S-E-T or S. TH is spelled both ways, um, depending on what Egyptologist you're talking to. And so this, this is the god of the crops, and all the crops are dying. But this is also an attack against the monuments. Egypt was known for its monuments. If you go over to Egypt, even to this day, everywhere you look in certain places, there's just huge statues of the gods, huge statues of the pharaohs. All these things were believed to be the image of the gods and the image of Pharaoh, and they believe a portion of the spirit of the gods lived in these monuments. And that they watched over you, both in judgment and protection and in blessing. And so as these things are all, these hailstones are plumbing in, you know it's going to be damaging a lot of these monuments. This might be one of the reasons why Ramses has to have such a huge building project when he comes into power 
to replace a lot of these things that have been destroyed. This is the ultimate glory of Egypt. This would be like the Washington Monument and Abraham Lincoln Memorial and the state and on the Capitol and, and the White House all just blowing up. When you see these terrorist movies, like they blow the, like they blow those buildings up and it's like the most horrifying thing because that is the glory of America. And that's what's being destroyed in these hailstone attacks. So this would be a threat to the glory itself of all the Egyptian empire. It's also important to understand that it is at this point that many of the servants of Pharaoh are going to Pharaoh and saying, let them go. That Pharaoh's own people are turning against him. And he keeps saying, now remember there's also the pattern that I forgot to mention. Pharaoh goes, okay, you can go. Just let him go. Just stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. And I'll let you go. And then it stops and he's like, oh, never mind. I changed my mind. Like he's just trying to get what he wants. But it's at this point that the people are saying, let him go, let him go. And even when the plague stops, they're still saying, let him go, let him go. This is important for you to understand because it shows how irrational and arrogant and stubborn Pharaoh has become in his own power. He is so digging his heels in that I am in control that his own people unanimously crying out for him to surrender. And you don't tell Pharaoh what to do. And they're so desperate that they're telling him what to do. This shows the irrationality of his stubbornness and his need for control, that even his own people don't agree with him. That brings the locusts. If you've ever seen a movie called Hildago, Hildago is actually a pretty good movie. There's a scene where a locust plague comes in. It's the only thing I've ever seen that shows a good image of a locust plague. Locust plagues are devastating. When a natural locust plague comes in, one square mile can have anywhere between 100 to 200 million locusts in it. That's a natural. Back in the 1980s, I think it was 84, 85, Egypt had a huge locust plague come through it. The locust plague was so thick that the pyramids disappeared. And the sky literally got blackened out. That's a natural plague of locusts, let alone a divinely supercharged Yahweh plague of locusts. This plague comes through. We're told that this plague is delayed just in time that now that the first wheat harvest has been destroyed by the hailstones. The barley usually grows up after that, and it's now come to harvest time, and then the locusts come. So it's like, well, okay, at least we got the barley. No, you don't. So there's just enough time between those two things to have that attack. Locusts are like lawnmowers. They can wipe out entire fields within minutes, and they just move across. The locust plague that happened back in the 80s in Egypt actually moved through several countries nonstop. It, took a, it was like two years this plague lasted, and it just went across all of Africa, and it was the same group of locusts the entire time. There seems to be no fill to them, like they have magical stomachs, and they just rip your crops apart. This would have been an attack against the crop gods too. So once again, remember, land, crops, water, sun. These are the most important things for life. And God has attacked them all. The only thing that's left now is Ray, the sun god, as far as your major gods go. 
So the locusts come across the land. That brings us against the ninth plague, chapter 10, verse 21. Darkness. This is the direct attack against Ray. Now you have to think about it. Even if you don't believe that the sun is literally a god, what is the most faithful thing in all of nature? It's the sun. Rains don't always come. Crops don't always grow. Storms don't always stop. Children don't always get born healthy. But the one thing that always is faithful every single day without fail is the sun always rises. And that was one of the reasons that Ray was the most worshipped and most powerful God in all of Egypt because it is the most faithful thing in all of nature. And God is going to strike the sun to the point that it's going to be dark. It was so dark that they could feel it. The point is not that they can literally feel the darkness. The point is that it's so dark that they have to grope everywhere. It's kind of like if you've ever gone to the caves and they, if they ever turn off the lights for you and you just, I remember it was, is it Mammoth Cave or? I remember as a little kid, we went down there on the field trip with school and they turned the lights off. And I remember they turned the lights off for a good minute or two, just so our eyes can adjust. And they told us, I put my hand here, and even after like a minute or two, you could not see your hand. That's the darkness that is described here. Okay, there's no moon, there's no stars, there's no sun. And there's a sense that if they're groping, we're told that there's even this sense of weeping and gnashing, that maybe even torches can't even be lit. That's not specifically mentioned, But the fact that they're totally blind, you would think somebody would light something somewhere. But the fact that God is emphasizing that there is no light period assumes that that's not even working. So this is absolute darkness. Now, studies have shown that light is necessary to remain sane as well. People actually do go sane if they're absent from light for enough time. Even blind people have enough light coming in that it helps maintain their sanity. This is what they use. This is what solitaire in prison is. Okay, so this is an attack. The sun god, Ray, has just gone dark. Now, in their thinking, Apophis, that serpent god I told you about last week, has finally succeeded. This is not an eclipse. This is darkness. And what's very interesting is this is one of the places where it specifically mentions, but the land of Goshen where Israel lived had light. That suggests a truly supernatural event, that there's just this beam of light coming down on Goshen or that it's God is creating its own light. I have no idea what that looks like, but that there's light there. And so what this is going to show is that this is not just your God's failing, but it's so important you understand that God is protecting his people not because they deserve it, not because they're more special than everybody, but because God has to show that he is the one responsible for it. If the people of God are not suffering at the hands of the plagues, then it becomes obvious that your gods are not just dying because it's the end of the world. It's that your gods are specifically dying at the hands of a very specific God that these people who belong to that God are not being harmed. This is what leads you to repentance. This is what leads you to follow Israel. 
and it will work. And you have to realize that this is successful because when they leave Egypt, we are going to be told that many, 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 many Egyptians left with the Israelites. So this works. It's important to understand that this is not about favorites. This is about making it clear whose God truly is in control. I know I moved really quick on that one, but I think overall the plagues are very repetitious. It's just Moses. We talked about the patterns with the hardening of the heart. We talked about the patterns with the warnings and that kind of stuff. But overall, the plagues are just very repetitious. It's God comes to Moses, Moses goes to them, that kind of stuff. So the main emphasis is I want you to understand this. I think it's important for you to understand all these gods because this is what makes these plagues very intentional. I think God's power becomes, we, I think a lot of times we just grow up and think like, wow, these are just horrible things that God is doing to people. But when you understand that these are gods dying, that these are direct attacks against gods, then you realize that the real point here is about God's sovereignty. It really is about how Yahweh is superior to these gods. This is the whole point the book of Hebrews is going to make, is the absolute supremacy of Jesus to all other gods, to all other options out there. And so if you are, in, if everybody is always worshiping a god somewhere, there's no such thing as an atheist in the ancient world. This is an incredible, powerful testimony to the power of God. This is not just horrible things happening to you, and you're like, oh my gosh, there's no atheists in foxholes, and you want to repent and change. This is a very clear demonstration that this slave God is way more powerful than anything we've ever seen. The fact that he's specifically targeting all these gods, the most powerful nation in all of the world, is dying, shows that he is absolutely more powerful than this nation and all these gods. The fact that he can kill every single one of every single element shows that he truly is the God of the heavens and the earth and the creator of all things. And if he can undo this, then he can create life. And the fact that Israel is being protected and being spared shows that he will save you if you repent and you follow him. And so the fact that this is going to climax in the Exodus, where he does save people, even the Egyptians who are on the wrong side of the covenant promises, even they can be saved. This also shows you the incredible love and mercy of God at the same time. And you have to realize that God demonstrated, told you God can't do mercy and justice at the same time, but he can bring justice and then bring an end to it and follow it by mercy. And that's what the plagues in the Exodus is. And by doing those back to back, then he shows that he truly is unique. This is not just random punishments put on his people. This is a true testimony to who he is and that all other gods are failures. This should be very powerful because you need to understand that once we get through the 10th and we get to the Exodus, it's three weeks later. This lasts for 11 months. Okay, for 11 months, you're living through this. That's going to be very powerful. This isn't like a going to Cedar Point for the weekend and it's such a brief moment in your life you kind of forget about the wonders very quickly. This is 11 months that you're going to live through this day after day after day after day. Now, there are some breaks here and there and we don't fully understand when the breaks happen and how long they last, but we do know that it's 11 months. Then it is three weeks later that they finally arrive at Mount Sinai. And that's when God says, you shall have no other gods 
before me. Now, do you realize how powerful a statement that's going to be when just three weeks ago you lived through an 11-month period where all the most powerful gods in the world were dying before your eyes? How powerful that commandment is going to be that I am Yahweh and there is no other like me and you shall have no other gods before me. And then do you realize how abhorrent and vile that 40 days after that they will resurrect one of those gods and worship it. This is what you have to have in the back of your mind. When you understand what's really going on here with these plagues, it shows God for who he really is, but it's also going to show humanity for what they really are when we get to the golden calf. This is all within less than a year. They're going to see this, they're going to get the commandments, and they're going to worship a golden calf all within a year. And we'll talk about that more when we get there, but I want you to just remember that in the back of your head. A lot of times when we do studies, we don't put all that time frame together and realize how all, boom, 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 this is all happening. But this is why God says, this is my wonder. And this is why even the Egyptians look at it and say, behold the finger of God. They got it. Because a lot of people ask, like, well, are we just kind of reading into this? Would they have gotten it? Oh, yeah, they did. They got it. They got it by the fact that they declared the finger of God as the power behind it, and they got it when they abandoned their gods, and they left Egypt, and they went with Yahweh. And this is his power. And this, Yahweh is doing the same thing. Maybe not on such a supernatural level. And you have to remember, too, that we think sometimes, wow, this happened back then. Why doesn't stuff like this happen today? But you have to remember, they've been enslaved for 400 years and haven't seen one miracle like this. See, it's easy to read the Bible and think, wow, miracles are happening all the time. Why don't they happen today? That's not true. Moses, Abram just saw a few miracles. Jacob didn't really see any. Joseph didn't really see any. I mean, there were miracles, don't get me wrong, but not like that Hollywood neon site, like fireworks kind of miracles that we think of. And then they go 400 years and they don't see a miracle. That's twice as long as America's been around. So the other thing I want you to understand is that when you go 400 years without seeing a miracle and then this thing happens, they're going to be just as wowed. It's not like, oh yeah, we see this all the time. This, we're, in the, we're in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> they would be just as wild to happen to us. But at the same time, you must understand, don't think, wow, God doesn't do stuff like that today like he did in the Bible because they could say the same thing because it's been 400 years and there's no recorded epic Hollywood miracle. And so you understand that God does this at moments in history and endorse, he doesn't do this to make our lives happy-go-lucky. He does this to display who he is. And that should be enough to last for a long time. And so this is the power, the wonder of God as the absolute sovereign power and authority over all creation. And I told you the first thing that the name Yahweh is communicating is I am the only sovereign God over all things that has always existed and always will. And the plagues truly demonstrate that. And the fact that Israel is not dying in these truly displays that I am with you. And this is why Yahweh will say, it is now 
that you will know me by the name Yahweh. Because you will see the greatest wonder that anybody has ever seen and the greatest act of forgiveness and protection and love and provision of care and mercy that anybody has ever seen. Because he is Yahweh. And that's what he's demonstrating here. And this is why the, Jew, the Israelites will remember this. And you have to understand how powerful this is too. Because 40 years later, they will go to Jericho and Rahab will say, we, all of Canaan, is still trembling in fear at what your God did back in Egypt. We know what your God did in Egypt. And we're still scared. And we're really scared now that you're on our doorstep. We can look over the valley and we see your nation there. Is there anything in America that we're still trembling in fear over that happened 40 years ago? Not really. Not even World War II. As epic and horrific and destructive as that makes any of us tremble. Most of us don't fear another war, maybe like that first generation that fought in World War II did. Because we just think, oh, that won't happen again. There's nothing that we've ever seen in our history that 40 years later, CNN, Fox, is still trembling in fear over that. That shows you how powerful and amazing these plagues were too. That that's going to last for that long. That all of Canaan is going to tremble in fear. And so this is the wonder, this is the glory, this is the power, the sovereignty of God. And this is the intentionality and the orderliness of what he does. God doesn't do anything randomly. He's a God of order. Any questions, comments?